great uh, Sunday here. I want to uh, share with you a little bit of a family moment before we jump into what I'm going to share today, and it's about my family, actually. I got a letter from my wife and I got a letter from the school this week, and uh, they were saying that because of a couple uh, cases of COVID at the local school, that uh, we had two options, one of two options. One was uh, we could have our kids quarantine, our school kids quarantine uh, in one section of the house by themselves, or we could all quarantine together as a family. And like good, any good loving parents would do, we banished them to the basement. And uh, so that's what we did. That's what we did. Um, actually, I'm, that is true. Last night, that's what happened. But uh, tonight, after, or today, <laughs> after I finish this message, I'm going to go home and we are going to quarantine together as a family and a brand new experience. And I know there's a number of families in our community that are having this very same experience. And I might be making, sounding like I'm making a little bit light of the situation. But I do want to say that um, for some families, this is going to be a really trying experience. And there's some really tough calls that they're even making right now. And so I want to encourage you, if you know a family that's having to quarantine in this time or an individual who has to quarantine this time, would you take it upon yourself to check in on them, to phone them, to see how they're doing and meet needs as best you can in the name of Jesus in this time? Also, if you're a family or an individual who is quarantining in this time and this is very hard for you and you don't really have someone that you really think you can turn to to help you in this time, would you make a call to the church? We'd love to... Um, see if we can assist you in any way possible. But we want to we make sure that we're um, being a community that stands together and encourages one another in these very unique experiences. All right, well, this morning I get to finish up a series that we started at the beginning of March called Unmute Yourself. And uh, we're talking about how, in some ways, it seems like Christians' voice about talking about what really matters to them, their following of Jesus and how they come to know him and how others can come to know him, how that's been muted in their lives. And there's lots of reasons for that. And I'm going to go back through some of them in a bit of a summary here. But um, we really want people to be able to share the good news about Jesus uh, openly and, uh, and to share it well. And um, so I want to talk to you about how to prepare yourself to share the gospel, how to prepare yourself to share the gospel. Of course, this whole series has been on that, uh, that subject, but how to unmute yourself, um, that's what we're going after. Let me to read to you. Oh, by the way, I think all of these steps, or most of these steps, you could practice this week, even if your family is quarantined. Uh, you could still practice many of these steps to prepare yourself to share the gospel. So here we go. Mac Mark chapter 2, 1 to 12. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. And they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. And since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowering the lowering the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. 
And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. And this amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. I think it's a great story, you know, friends bringing their friend, I assume friend, to Jesus. And uh, I think that's what a lot of us would love to do. We'd love to bring our friends to Jesus. And now this story about the paralyzed man, it's not recorded for us, but the idea to take the paralyzed man to Jesus must have originated with one of them. Maybe it was one of the four, or maybe someone else uh, told them these four guys should do it. Uh, but somebody must have had the idea, and I'm, I'm assuming it's someone who was really concerned with this man's condition. And I think it's a metaphor, or can be a metaphor, or can be a reminder for us that when it comes to bringing our friends to Jesus, that probably one of the first places to begin is, is with that feeling of concern that we have, or, or, um, or if more than that, it may be stronger. It might be that we're disturbed with the problem others have without Jesus in their life. And so I want to just start that as the first thing. I think that's the first thing in beginning to share your faith is I think we need to be disturbed or we need to get disturbed about the problems others have uh, without God in their lives, without Jesus in their lives. The paralyzed man's biggest problem, you'll see by the end of the story, isn't being paralyzed, even though that's a huge problem. His biggest problem is one we all share, that we're all sinners and that God is a holy God. The consequences of sin in this life are, are pretty uh, evident. You see people in bondage to things that they can't seem to kick or get out of. Uh, you see generationally, you see uh, things casca cascading down from grandparents to parents to, to grandkids. The same problems, the same uh, uh, addictions, the same uh, habits and, and attitudes that, again, are, are hurting and are, are wrecking things and causing devastation. Uh, but the ultimate, um, the ultimate negative of sin in our lives is that it separates us from God eternally. It's, the wages of sin is death. And the Bible's talking there about, well, physical death, but spiritual death as well, which is the separation of the Spirit from God eternally. Um, I've been in a bit of a training uh, online training group called Sling Training here at the church, which Jess Weiberg has been leading, and I've been uh, doing it with a bunch of uh, great people. And one of the things Jess said in the last week's session that I thought was really great was he just said, we're trying to swing the pendulum back. Back from, and this is my paraphrase of it, but back from a one-sided presentation of the good news about Jesus. I think a lot of times we've used our good news, our presentation of well, what's the good news about Jesus, we're, we're focusing on what Jesus can do for you, all the positives he can bring into your life. But there's a whole other side of the equation, and that's what's the great negative that he can take out of our life? What's the great uh, danger? What's the great peril that he's saving us from? And so that's what I think the sling training is helping us to do, is, to, is, is that not just talking about the good news in all of its goodness, but talk about the good news and the bad news that it, it uh, seeks to save us from. You know, God gave the Israelites 
something called the law. Maybe you've heard of, you know, the Ten Commandments. You picture Moses with big stone tablets coming down the mountain. Maybe that's something you're familiar with, that image or that thought. Um, I'd be curious to know how many of you can name all Ten Commandments? Or how many of you can name any of the commandments? In fact, let's just take a few seconds. And if you're playing at home or if you're doing this live, I want you just to use your fingers and just mentally go through the Ten Commandments. And here's a hint. They usually, most of them, not all of them, they'll start with thou shalt not or you shall not something. Okay? So how many can you do in the next number of seconds? I'm going to give you about 15, 20 seconds. Okay? I'll just count silently in my head. You count on your fingers and see how many you can do. And if you're playing at home as a family, just shout them out. See if you can get all 10 as a family, and that'll be a family win if you can do it. So here we go. How are you doing? Are you getting them all? All right, that's time. Let me tell you the Ten Commandments, God's moral requirements. First one was no other gods. You shall have, thou shall have no other gods before me. Uh, I'm going to do the abbreviated version of all of these. Uh, no graven image is the second one, very similar to the first one. Don't make an idol or anything else as a substitute for God. And then don't take God's name in vain or, or blaspheme, right? Um, then... Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy is number four. And number five is the one everyone forgets. And if you forgot this playing as a family, then, oh, you're going to feel really bad about it. Honor your father and mother. Okay, that's number five. Then these ones I remember really good. Thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not either bear false witness or lies, probably the simplest way to say it. And thou shalt not covet anything of your neighbors, right? Wanting to have what they have uh, for yourself. Okay, so those are, the, those are the top ten. I mean, those are the ten, not the top ten. Those are the ten commandments. And how did you do? If you're playing online, if you're online, you're on Facebook or whatever, throw out a comment. Just say, hey, I got seven out of ten. Woohoo, I did good. Uh, or I only got two. I, I'm going to have to go to Exodus 20 and read up on those so I can remember them in the future. But God gave the Israelites the law to show them what God's moral requirements were. And the result is it revealed their sinfulness. It revealed how far they were from God's righteous requirement of them. The law does that. It reveals our sin. And um, I I was watching, we were watching a video in our sling training. And in the, the video, a guy is just talking to people on the street. And he starts just asking them, well, Recite the Ten Commandments. How many can you do? And they start to recite them. And then he starts asking them about their personal keeping of the Ten Commandments. So he goes like this. Have you ever lied? And almost everyone who he interviews says, well, yes. And then he goes, well, what do you call someone who lies? And they say, well, a liar. And they go, okay, well, what about stealing? Have you ever stolen anything? Even something little. And they're like, most people are saying, yes, yes. And they say, okay, so what does that make you? And they're all like, uh, and then he usually prompts them and says, a thief, right? And they're like, oh, well, okay. And then he usually goes on to say, um, have you ever committed adultery? And they're all like, no, no, I haven't. No, I haven't done that. And he said, do you know what Jesus said? Jesus said, if you look at a woman, this is the, the reference, but I think it goes both ways, gender-wise. But if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, it's like you've committed adultery with her in your heart. And they're all like, okay, 
a lot of them are saying, yes, I've done that. And then the, the last one, or he talks about um, not taking God's name in vain. Have you ever done that? Have you ever used uh, God's name or Jesus' name as a curse word? And a lot of them are saying, of course, yes, we have. And so at that point in the video, he basically has got four out of four, and he hasn't even done all the Ten Commandments. He goes, well, four, you're four for four. He goes, so you, you've already admitted to me that you're a liar, a thief, a blasphemer, that'd be the taking of the Lord's name in vain, and an adulterer at heart. <laughs> it's funny. The farther you go into the videos, the more serious people get. Like they realize there are things in their lives that they do that aren't good, and now they're finding out because that's what the law does. The, the law that God gives, it shows people, oh, I really am a sinful person. I think a lot of times we think, well, you know, it's no big deal. Like uh, this story about the paralyzed man, the big deal is he's paralyzed. That's his greatest need. But Jesus actually um, shows us in this story that his greatest need is actually the forgiveness of his sins because those sins have a terrible consequence. They have a, a terrible outcome. There's a young man who, uh, or there's, I don't know if he's a young man, but a man come to Jesus in Matthew 19. He says, teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? This is Matthew 19, 16. And he says, why do you ask me what is good? Jesus replied, there's only one who is good. There's only one who is good. It's funny. Uh, we're working our way through the book of Judges, myself and my youngest son. He's seven. And as we've been talking through the book of Judges, um, Every now and again, we have to reckon with the fact that the people in the story weren't just good people or bad people. They were a mixed bag of motivations, but all of them were sinful. Even the ones who you'd say, they were the hero in this story. They did good. But generally, we could see that when you looked at the whole picture of their life, they were just like you and me. They had uh, lots of selfish things going on in their lives and lots of sin. And so we always remind ourselves when we finish the story and we find out that a one of the good guys or one of the guys we're sort of cheering for in the story ends up doing something bad at the end of his life or something like that, then we go, hey, there's only one who's good, and that was God, right? Of course, and Jesus, right? So Jesus says, there's only one who's good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones, he inquires. Does this sound familiar? Jesus replied, and he gives, he gives six, murder, adultery, steal, false testimony, honoring your father and mother. And then he throws in love your neighbor as yourself, which could be a version of thou shalt not covet. Anyhow, just throw that in there. All these I have kept, the young man said, what do I still lack? So he makes a really prideful statement. I have kept these things. I've done them all. Perfectly? For real? I mean, if he was in the room with you and your friends, and you said, you've never lied? Really? You've never lied? At that point, you'd say, well, you just did right? You just lied, because that's not possible. But he said, uh, in, I think in some pride, I have kept all of these things. What do I still lack? And uh, so Jesus recognizes the pride in his heart, and he brings, he, he's already brought the law to bear, and even then he said he's doing good. So uh, Jesus brings the essence of the most important first two laws, which is no other God's before me and, and no idols, right? So then he goes and says this. If you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. So Jesus just, he knows his heart and he just cuts right to it and just says, so you're ready, you, you're you're proclaiming your perfection. You're proclaiming you're good enough uh, to please God with your behavior, 
Well then, prove it. Prove that there's nothing that's an idol that's more important to you than God. There's no other thing that you worship that's more important than God by giving away your wealth. Because, I mean, God knows how much we struggle with money and how much of a hold that has on our lives. And he knew in this guy's case that that was true. And it says the, the guy goes away sad. He's ready to follow Jesus. He, he wants eternal life, but he goes away sad because he wanted to earn his way into it. And he realizes he can't. He's more sinful than he would giving, giving himself uh, credit for. Um, so then Jesus said to his disciples, it's hard for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? They were probably discouraged because they thought, this guy was pretty good and he can't get into the kingdom of heaven? What hope is there for us? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. And that's, you know, uh, that's true on several fronts. Let me just throw it out a different angle on this. It's impossible for any man, woman, boy or girl, to be right with God based on their own behavior. But we can't keep the Ten Commandments. We can't keep the law. What the law did for us was gave us a great big expose of our inability to keep the law, of our desperate sinfulness, of how far out of alignment we are with God. I mean, the, the standard of being right with God is perfection. And so a lot of people would say, oh, God's just being picky. Nobody's perfect. But it's not just that. It's that our heart's inclination is not to follow God, not to submit to God, not to live for God, not to recognize his claim on our lives. But it's, it's, uh, it's, it's to separate from God. It's to go away from God. Let me share a few verses. I love that Jess Weiberg shared these about uh, five, four weeks ago, and I loved how he shared them. Let me just share you the first half of four different scripture sections. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Okay, Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death. So you go, okay, all have sinned, it gets worse, the wages of sin is death. Matthew 10.28 says, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. This, this is not getting better, is it? These scriptures are getting more and more ominous as they go. And then Ephesians 2 and verse 1, it talks about our condition without Jesus. It says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. So, lots of pretty strong language in the Bible about our condition without Jesus, that we're in great danger. A few years ago, uh, some of you have heard me tell this story before, but I'll give you the very short version. I went to visit a friend, and uh, he and I had sort of both grown up in, you know, going to church, and we were part, both part of sort of what you call Christian families, like our parents were Christians anyhow. And I went to visit him, and uh, we were having a games night, playing boards games with him and his wife, and having a great time. And then the evening ended, and I asked him about, you know, hey, where do you go to church? And he said, oh, I don't really go to church. And I said, oh, you know, are you just sort of between? And anyhow, the story came out that he said, I I'm not really f following Jesus. And I was like, oh, and we talked a little bit more, and I, I think we had sort of a little bit of a rational discussion and stuff like that. But I went home, and I was very emotional about it. 
This is a good friend of mine. And I started to think about what would life like be without Jesus? What would life like be without Jesus? For me, I couldn't resonate with some of his reasons why he was making the decisions he was making in his life because I think I'd seen too much. I'd seen too many good things that God had done in my life. I'd seen too many amazing things that he'd done in other people's lives. It's like I'd seen God on display in this world, in people's lives, and I was like, I, I couldn't go where he went because I just realized uh, I, I knew the reality of who God was. But here's the, the thing that really struck me was what would his path be like without God? And so I went home and I remember I wrote uh, a list, a, you know, basically a without Jesus list, and I wrote down all the things that I would miss if I didn't have Jesus in my life. Now, I've shared it before in this church. I'm not going to share it right today. But the description of these scriptures is, is very similar, right? Death, objects of wrath, uh, fear. These are all real realities if we don't have Jesus in our lives. And so it might be something that you might want to try. And in fact, I think this might help you to get, to get disturbed about where people are at. But it also will have a, 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 another purpose, and I'll share that in a second, is what is people's experience without God? What is people's experience without God? And so I wrote that list, and it started out being, a, this is what my friend is missing out on, and then it, it flipped to be something for myself, and I'm going to share that in, in as well here. So, back to the paralyzed man. Somebody was disturbed about his condition. But then I think there's a second piece in that somebody must have heard that Jesus could make a difference for this paralyzed guy. And maybe they had heard about what Jesus could do, or maybe they'd experienced it personally. Maybe one of those four guys, or maybe a couple of them, maybe all of them were actually followers of Jesus. I don't know. But they had a reason to hope. And so I think that the second thing I want to say is, even as you're engaging with the getting disturbed about where people you love and care for are at, flip it to the other side as well. And, um, and get familiar with the hope that you have. And so, back to the, my making my without Jesus list. When I made that list, at first it was like, my friend doesn't have this, my friend doesn't have this. But it was also for me, I couldn't live with what I, it was, it was like a list of sadness for my friend, but it was a list of happiness for me. I was like, Yes, Jesus has done this in my life. Yes, he's done this in my life. Yes, he's done this. I actually keep this list uh, tacked to my bulletin board in my office. And uh, every now and again, something else hits me at a deep level, and I go and I just write it on there. Just scrawl it in pen and just go, this is another thing without Jesus. So I can look at it and read it for myself and feel great gratitude towards what, what God has done in my life. But I also can think about my friends who don't have these things and it could be a motivator for me to say, I want my friends to have these things. I don't want them to be without these things in their lives. So get disturbed where people are at, but get familiar with the hope that you have. You know that all those scriptures that I read to you that were really, uh, you know, sort of sounded really threatening, they all have a positive other side to them. And that's what Jess Weiberg used as a little bit of a technique a few weeks ago, and I loved it. So for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Oh, that's great. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Then what does it go on to say? Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are numbered. It goes from this big threat to this big being cared for, love and compassion because of Jesus. And then the last one in Ephesians where it gets to the end saying that we were by nature deserving of wrath. Then it goes on to say, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. You know, even the Ten Commandments flips around because of Jesus. Did you know that? Like you think about when you hear someone say, thou shalt not, whatever, steal or something like that, thou shalt. It's like, you better not. You better not. You know, there's a bit of a threat in that. But you know what? When you come to Jesus, when you realize, I can't actually fulfill the Ten Commandments. None of us can. I can't do, uh, I can't live a perfect life. I'm just living out the same pattern of my ancestors who, all of them, were born into sin with that, that tendency to live for themselves and not to live for God. I'm, I'm the same as all of them. But you know what? When you trust in Jesus, he takes those Ten Commandments, which hang like a threat over our lives, and he flips them around. Because now, what happens is our sin has been placed on Jesus at the cross, and his righteousness is given to us as an, in exchange. When we, when we trust in what he's done for us, when we believe in him, when we receive his gift of eternal life, that all flips around. So now you look at the Ten Commandments and when you hear, thou shalt not steal, it's actually not saying, you better not. It's saying, God wants to change those habits in your life. Change those bondages in your life. If stealing is a thing that's got a grave hold on you, God wants to work out in your life the character of Jesus so that you, those things lose their power. You don't have to be a slave to that sin anymore. So it's actually not telling you, hey, you better try harder. It's actually trying, God's going to work out something in your life so that you can live like he wants you to live. So God can be number one in your life. So you honor your father and mother so that you honor God on the Sabbath. All those different things. Those, those can be part of the joyful existence you have going forward. And so I just want to encourage you that that's, that's the, the way that Jesus brings things around. So forgiveness, reconciliation, you become a child of God, you have heaven. I mean, you never outgrow your need to hear again and again the good news about what Jesus has done for us. Now, I want to just hearken back a little bit uh, to Crystal's experience. You saw that incredible video, and I want to just jump back in. I thought there were some incredible things in there. You know what? She didn't—I'm talking about getting familiar, getting familiar with the hope that you have, but Crystal didn't wait till she had everything figured out in her faith. She didn't know—she didn't wait till she knew everything about her faith before she started to engage with her neighbor. In fact, None of us have had all the light bulbs of our faith go on. None of us have. And so it doesn't make sense for us to say, well, when I really know the hope that I have, I really know my faith, I really know I can answer all questions, that's when I'm going to begin to share my faith. Because you will never share your faith then. Because all of us, to the end of our days, are going to keep discovering more and more of what God has done for us. Let me read you Ephesians 1. And verse 15, it says, For this reason, this is 
Paul talking about how he's praying for people. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. So Crystal, when she was sharing her story, did you hear that part where she said, this is her story of obedience. Not a person who knows everything, has got it all figured out. So if you, as you're exploring and understanding your faith uh, as you go, you still can be sharing your faith. Someone asks you a question, you don't have to say, oh man, I, I don't know that question. I'm, I'm invalidated in sharing my faith. In fact, that's a great time to just be really honest and say, that's a good question. I don't know the answer. If I ever get the answer, uh, can I come back and share with you what I found out? That's a pretty legitimate way to respond when you feel that. So don't wait. Uh, don't defer sharing your faith just because you're still learning about the hope that you have. For me, my list on my bulletin board. I'm going to keep adding to it through the years because there's things that God's going to yet show me about the riches of the faith that I have, the riches of what Christ has done for me in, uh, through him. So continue to grow in those things. I was reading a, a sample prayer that a, a pastor called J.D. Greer had, uh, he had left up on the internet and I was reading it and I thought, this is great. I could post this just beside my my, uh, my bed or, or beside my mirror in, in the bathroom. I just love it. It's just reminding yourself of what God has done for you. And it's just got four parts to it. So it's a simple prayer uh, and it's got four affirmations. Because I am in Christ, because of what Jesus has done for me, there's nothing I have done that could make you, it's talking to God, that could make you love me less and nothing I could do that would make you love me more. Here's the second one. Because I am in Christ, you are all I need for everlasting joy. Number three, because I am in Christ, as you have been to me, so I will be to others. And because I am in Christ, as I pray, I'll do so according to the compassion you've shown at the cross and the power you demonstrated through the resurrection. Those truths and those realities of what we've experienced in our lives because of Jesus I pray that they'll get deeper and deeper in you as they get deeper and deeper in me, but we won't wait for them to go, for us to have it all before we begin to share the goodness of what God's done in our lives. So back to the paralyzed man. His friends are disturbed about his condition. They know Jesus might be able to help him, but their actions showed they also had a heart of compassion for the man. So this is the other thing I think you should pray and ask for this week if you're quarantined or whether you're not, is pray that God would give you a heart for people through prayer. Make a list of people who are in your sphere of influence, people that you're going to consistently come back to and bless in prayer and, uh, and keep going. As you pray prayers of blessing for people, it'll change your heart towards them. If your heart was really sort of judgmental towards them and, you know, you're, you're disappointed in them or you just didn't like them because of their behavior, that'll change. That'll change as you begin to pray blessing over their life, that God would do good to them, that there would be peace in their lives, that they would come to know him. It'll have an effect on you spiritually. It'll also have an effect on the spiritual atmosphere around that person as well. And I think that's a big part of Crystal's story when she was sharing. 
Her neighbor became a constant in her prayer life. Her story of obedience was fueled by prayer. And her heart for her neighbor was fueled by talking with the one who cares the most about her neighbor. And that'll happen to you too. God sees people, all people, as precious and valuable. More than we do. Even the ones we love the most. God loves them even more. And so talk to God about that. Say, God, you love them more than I love them. Give me your heart for these people. And it'll change the way that you, uh, you pray, but it'll also change the way that you act when you do share your faith. You'll be so giddy with excitement for them uh, to do well in life, for things to, good things to happen to them, and for them to come to know Jesus because uh, you're already praying those prayers of blessing and God is changing your heart. When that, the guys came with, the four guys came with the paralyzed man, it says that, this great line, it says, when Jesus saw their faith. Now, you can't really see faith, but the evidence of faith you can see, right? And so, they believed God could do something for their friend. That was evident to Jesus, and it was evident to others. They weren't just disturbed about his condition. They weren't just familiar with what Jesus could do. They didn't just have compassionate hearts for the man, but they stepped out in faith. They stepped out in faith. I want you, I'm, my, one of my prayers for us as a church is that through this month that you've gotten encouraged in your faith. You've gotten encouraged that God still brings people to himself today and that you can be a part of it. As we've listened to the different testimonies each week, now if you haven't checked in for the last three weeks, you really missed something. Some really great messages by Kurt, Daisy, uh, okay one by me, and then some great stories Two of them were people sharing uh, how they came to faith in Jesus and that people from this church were part of that picture for them. And then the other two were the other side of the coin, people who were part of the picture, who God used to help lead people to Christ. Those are fuel. They're jet fuel for your faith. If you say, man, I don't know if anyone ever, do people give their life to Christ anymore? Does that still happen in Moose Jaw? Does that still happen at Hillcrest? Yes, yes, yes. So, Watch those videos again. And this is what I would tell you to do. When you watch those videos, pick out all the baby steps in there. There's tons of little baby steps, tons of little references. I, I, God needed to change my heart. I needed to do something that was scary. I, I took a risk. I realized, you know, I, you know, all these different things that people, you could see the people growing as they were taking the steps to share their faith. And then you can hear the response on the other side of people, how that affected them, how they were approached, what they were hungry for, what God was already working into their hearts, and how ready they were uh, at different stages to respond. So re I would say, watch those. That should be required watching for anyone at Hillcrest. Watch them. They're on our YouTube page, uh, Hillcrest Church, Moose Jaw. Just Google that. You'll f I mean, on YouTube, you'll find that. And then watch those um, stories I would say at least a couple times. Just glean from that all the baby steps in there and it'll really help you and it'll get you encouraged. Your faith will start to grow. Here's the last few things. The, the paralyzed man had four friends who brought their friend to Jesus and that required effort, it required problem solving, and it required time. In other words, they made themselves available. The last couple weeks uh, with Kurt's message last week, about meeting needs, and, and Daisy's message the week before about uh, basically making the time uh, for people. Those are really crucial pieces in being able to share your faith. Uh, if you're, you've got to get ready to do good, 
by creating margin in your time and your resources in order to be available for the things that God wants to do through you. So if you haven't heard those messages, I encourage you to go back. But our hope is that we wouldn't just speak the gospel, but we'd live a lifestyle that matches it. And on the flip side, we wouldn't just live a lifestyle that sort of resonates with the gospel, but never speak the gospel. We really want to be the kind of people, the followers of Jesus, who do both and bring those together. And that's what we're trying to do here at Hillcrest, to see those things happen uh, more and more among us. In Crystal's story, she talked about baking bread and, and just taking the time and uh, to chat about gardening or whatever it is. And I think those are just some of the real tangible, practical, real things that believers do uh, when they want to bring their friend to Jesus. Again, the last thing I'll say about the paralyzed man story is that when those four friends brought their friends to Jesus, it led to the meeting of two needs. His felt need, the most pressing need that he would have probably felt in his life, was the fact he was paralyzed. That's pretty obvious. But his greatest need as well, and that's the greatest need we all share, and that's the need of having a solution for our separation from God, a solution for our sin, and uh, that God would save us from not only the power of sin, that slavery of sin in our lives, but also save us from uh, the penalty of sin, that eternal separation from God. And so it's interesting, when he comes, he's laid out there, uh, Jesus starts with, your sins are forgiven. Starts with the, the greatest need. Of course, everybody fusses about that because the religious leaders around, and who is Jesus to do that? Of course, Jesus is letting it be known more and more that he is God in the flesh. And then he heals him physically as well. And I think that's the way we got to care for people. We got to be ready to care for their felt needs and also uh, their greatest need. And to really uh, look, care for the whole person. We're not just looking for them uh, to be helped only in a, like a sort of a spiritual silo. We want to see God do work in their whole lives. But the greatest need is to meet Jesus, to have their sins forgiven, and to have a brand new life with him. Well, I want to end uh, today with just sharing... Um, I sort of scoured the internet this week about sharing your faith. I've, I've been exposed to different uh, ways that people share their faith through the years. Uh, you know, um, but the one that grabbed me this week was I found on uh, a website. And it was the pastor sharing the gospel with five G words. And I thought, this might help you. If you're ever sharing, like, what's the story? This might help you. So I want to read, just read through his explanation of the gospel. It's pretty short, but it's got five G words. And I like it because... I mean, he didn't mean to this. He wrote this a few years ago. But I like doing the gospel in 5G because I hear 5G is going to be really big soon. So uh, maybe it'll have some staying power for a little, little while. So here's the gospel in 5G. That's not his title. That's mine. But the rest is his. So here we go. It starts with this short statement. The gist of the good news message of Christianity is about what God has done through Jesus to secure our salvation. Okay, so if you ever wonder, what's the gospel? This is a great summary. What God has done through Jesus to secure our salvation. Let me read it to you. The word gospel literally means a good message or good news. The gospel is the good news of what God has done in Christ to secure our salvation. At its heart is a story about Jesus. But to understand Jesus, we have to understand what it means to be lost. And we have to know who it is that is looking for us. 
That's why it is very important that when we speak about the gospel, we begin at the very beginning. And that's where we begin with the first G, God. The gospel begins with God. It is God's message for God's people living in God's world. The gospel begins where the Bible begins. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The gospel begins with the premise that there is a God, he is loving, and he made everything, including you. Therefore, your life only makes sense with reference to this God. Because he's the creator, he has the right to make the rules. Because he is loved, those rules are good, wise, and giving. Which brings us to our second word, guilt. Very early on in the Bible, we discover that human beings rebelled against the creator God. Our first parents wanted to be like God, deciding right and wrong for themselves. They did not believe that God was good, and they resented his authority over their lives. They rejected his word, and they did what God had told them not to do, and they immediately regretted it. All human beings now live out this essential pattern. For there's no distinction. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3, 22 and 23. The central dilemma of the biblical narrative is this. God is holy and we are not. That is the problem Jesus came to solve, which leads us to our third G word, grace. Perhaps the most famous verse in the Bible reads as follows. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. John 3.16. See, Jesus is the grace of God. Jesus is what God gave so that his people might not perish, but have everlasting life. The gospel is about Jesus. Jesus did for us what we could never do for ourselves, and he paid for us. He paid for what we have done. Uh, we, sorry, He paid for what we have done, our sins, in his body on the cross. His life brought us blessing. His death brought us peace. His resurrection gives us hope. And his intercession gives us strength. So thanks be to God for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Which brings us to our fourth G word, gratitude. Gratitude is another word for thanks. It means to receive what God has given in Christ for our salvation. It also describes the essential attitude of the Christian. The Christian is one who rejoices in what Christ has accomplished. A Christian is one who grows in what Christ has given. Gratitude, therefore, is about receiving and responding. The Apostle Paul put it this way, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Romans 12.1 A Christian gives because God has given. A Christian loves because God has loved. A Christian forgives because in Jesus, God has forgiven them. The whole Christian life is about responding to what God has done in Christ. It's about being gathered back into the love and the goodness of God. And here's the last word, glory. The gospel begins where it ends, with God's people, in God's world, delighting in God's goodness. The gospel is a story about rescue and restoration. It's about how God in Christ brings his people all the way home. The Bible ends with these marvelous words. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God 
and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. Revelation 22, 1-5. They will see his face, we will see his face, and night will be no more. That's the gospel in a nutshell. You know, I realize as I'm sharing this, I've mostly been talking to Christians about how you can bring your friend to Jesus. But you might be watching this today and you say, I've not crossed that line of faith. I don't know all of what you're talking about when you talk about all the blessings of having Christ in your life. And uh, so I would love for you to know what it's like to be with Jesus and have Jesus in your life. And here at Hillcrest, we often take time just to stop and, and pray a prayer of commitment. For many of us, we're praying it repeatedly. We keep coming back to the same reality. We never get tired of the gospel because the gospel is what we need on an ongoing basis in our lives. Not to save us or resave us, but, but actually to transform us on our journey. But for you right now, you might be at a place where you're saying, I need to start that journey. I, or I feel like I'm already starting that journey. Or something in my heart is leading me towards wanting to begin that journey. Have I already started? You might not know. But here's a prayer that you can pray. And I'm going to pray it for my own self. And people who are here, they'll probably pray it as well. And people watching online for their own recommitment, their own recognizing God's claim on their lives. But for you, it might be the first time that you recognize God's claim on your life and you commit your life to him. And if you do that today, there'll be a chance for you to share that uh, with us at the church with a phone call afterwards if if you want to. But let me just lead you in this prayer. It's not the words, though they help us, but it's that you are committing yourself to Christ. Just like we heard in Crystal's story, that someone said yes to Jesus in their own backyard, and, uh, and God used that uh, in incredible ways. Here we go. Dear Father, thank you that you love me and sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sin. I put my trust in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Help me live a life that honors you by the power of the Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, God bless you this week. Whether you're stuck at home or whether you're free to roam, may God start to put these things into your heart in a greater and greater way. And we're looking forward to many, many more stories of people coming to faith in Jesus in the years to come because of the baby steps you're taking today and that we're all taking together. Have an incredible week. God bless you.